dear church family, once again we continue with our Bible study series in the life of Joseph, if you're counting. We're now on our tenth study for the series. The series. Last time we, we really saw Joseph's rise and exaltation as into a position of great power, into the ruler of Egypt, into the prime minister of Egypt. We saw how Pharaoh literally just again, just delegated everything into Joseph's hand. We saw really how God used his many sufferings and afflictions to so fit him for such a position and so mould him to such a position of great influence and power. We saw the great faith and the wisdom and the busyness and urgency that God so endowed him with in order for such a monumental task, the great building project that was needed, the diligence that was needed, the patience, the resolve, the faith that was needed. We see all those things last time. And we saw also how Joseph really was a picture, and the work which he did was a picture uh, which resembled Christ and the gospel. How there is provision in the Lord, there is bread to the full, and no one and go away empty-handed. We saw the many types and foreshadows and, and pictures which Joseph and the work resembled in Christ. And really in today's study, our concentration will be in Genesis 42, the full chapter, where we really start to see in today's chapter the famine uh, starting to really bite, as it were, in Egypt and now, of course, spreading through to Canaan in Hebron, where Joseph's brethren and family were. The seven years of plenty now are over, and the seven years of dearth, of famine, have begun. God's covenanted family, God's chosen family, are in big trouble, friends. And in fact, this, this was the only, only the very beginning of their problems. Many, many more troubles, as we shall see, shall start to befall Jacob's family. To the point, really, where, where Jacob cries out. We see in verse 36, he cries out, All these things are against me. All these things are against me. His family and their families are facing potential famine, starvation. All these things are against me, Jacob says. The spiritual condition of his family, friends, is in a terrible condition. Is in, uh, they are riddled with sin, as it were. They're divided as a, as a, as a family. They're broken as a, as a family. All these things are against me, says Jacob. He had lost his beloved son, Joseph that have caused him much heartache and pain and grief over the space of 20 years now, and was facing the loss of more. All these things are against me. And friends, it's true to say that God's people are not exempt from troubles in life. You know, we should never ever believe in these prosperity gospel preachers. God's people often are made through pain, and trials and many, many tears often to see the wonderful things of God. 
the, the glory of God is so often revealed when we go through such pain and suffering. He says, all these things are against me. And perhaps, again, there are um, some amongst us that are facing troubles within our families. We have loved ones upon your heart. There's division, perhaps, in your family. There's heartache in your family. There, there, are, there are people who you've been trying to reconcile, you've been praying, and it just doesn't seem like they're moving. It's, there are perhaps other difficulties, financial difficulties. Perhaps you're suffering from loss of some sort, a loss of a loved one, a loss of a, of a friend. And perhaps even because of all such things, that the dark, dark clouds or circumstance are blocking your spiritual vision, your faith in the Lord. And you could say, really like Joseph, all these things are against me. They seemingly, they, they seem like for 20 years now, it's crushing, as it, as it were. And you cry out in your heart amidst putting on a brave face. Really, you cry in your heart. All these things continue to be against me, as it were. And Jacob, friends, cried out, All these things are against me when providentially, providentially, in God's eyes, all these things were going for him. All these things for the secret providence of God were working in the midst, as it were. They were all for him. What a, what a wonder this is. What a wonder God's ways are, friends. We see really in this chapter the wonderful providence. The secret wonderful providence of God working behind the scenes of those who truly love him. Truly all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. Wonderful little, little book by Thomas Watson. All things work together for good. If you haven't got it, get it. It will bring so much comfort and joy. But the reality is, dear friends, that even the best of saints for a time can lose their, their sight, their spiritual sight of God's goodness when trials persist. And that's what we see with Jacob here. In Jacob's case, the grief of losing a believing, beloved son was a real, tangible grief. For 20 years, he was bearing this loss. Jacob still loved and no doubt trusted in the Lord. He loved the Lord and trusted in the Lord, but no doubt he had not much pain and sorrow in his heart. Jacob knows that he made mistakes, and, and the scripture is clear. As a father, he made mistakes. As a husband, it is obvious that he made mistakes, and those things are written down for our learning. And he feels, he feels the pressure acutely of his failures. He feels them. He feels like he is responsible for them. The pressure of all those who depended upon him weighs heavy upon his mind. Yeah. He's got so many things upon his mind. The temptation was to doubt God's promises. To doubt God's covenant of promises. Remember, God made him promises. Sure promises. Lasting promises. He wrestled with the Lord. God promised him, didn't he? 
And, and he believed in God's promises. But the devil, you see, the devil tries to get in, doesn't he? To make us want to doubt God, God's promise. Did he really say that to you, Jacob, back then? When you wrestled with the Lord, as, as it were, 20 years, providence seemingly seemed against him. The famine seemed against him. His family was broken, riddled with sin, hanging on a, on, on a thread, as it were. In the first few verses, we really do get a sense, sense of, of this and Jacob's spiritual frustration, really, that comes out in, in the narrative over his ten sons' condition. He says in verse 1, Why do you look on one another? Why are you just looking at one another? You can see here, it almost like there's a, a frustration here over them. He says in verse 2, Behold, I've heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence, that we may live and not die. What are you doing? You're just looking around at one another. I've heard there are people coming back from Hebron, they've gone to, to Egypt and they're bringing food for their families. And look, you guys are just hanging around here. Go go to Egypt, get food for your families, your children. You can see the spiritual frustration here. It's, it's, coming, it's coming through. But it must be said the harshness and the lack of love here, really, is not to be commended. And we were told, really, in verse 4, that Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, let's prevention mischief before him. See, Jacob really knew, did he not, in his heart, that what happened to Joseph was foul play. He suspected that, that something, Joseph, mischief befell him. And he suspected that. And in what he's really saying to his ten other children, well, I'm not going to allow you to take Benjamin now. I'm not going to allow him to go with you, lest the same thing happens to him. They, he deeply mistrusted them. He spent 20 years of understanding their character. And so he's basically saying, you can go into Egypt and, and, and mischief can befall you, but not Benjamin, in other words. Which, which, of course, we, this is not to be commended. And, and as, as fathers, we need to learn uh, to love our children despite, perhaps, how they treat us. We must treat them as Christ loves, loves. And so despite Jacob's harshness, it must be said, though, that he was not blind to his ten sons' unconverted state of sin. He wasn't blind to that. They tried to cover it up for many years, but he saw that. He saw their character. And they, of course, would have done their utmost to hide those blatant sins. But I'm in no doubt that Jacob knew the spiritual condition, the character of, of the, the, ten, the ten sons that they were still in their sin, as it were. Jacob really, friends, we see here in this opening narrative, he's really at rock bottom here as a believer. He's deflated. He's deflated, he's frustrated. His family is riddled with sin. There's division in his family. There's loss, there's famine. All these things are against me. They're against me. The covenant family of God is in trouble. It's, it's weak, as it were. And yet, friends, this is the family. This is God's family that he has chosen for 
his precious son, the Messiah, to come out of a weak family, as it were. What a wonder. God is no respecter of persons, is he? But for friends, before, of course, that happens, God, in his infinite wisdom, will show them these ten sons. And we see this covered all over this chapter. The whole point of this chapter is to show them, to convict them of their need of the Saviour, of the Lord. To convict them of their sin and their need of God's salvation. And friends, our ways are not God's ways, are they? God's ways are, are so much higher than ours. And we can say with Jacob at times, everything is against me, seemingly. And, and God says, it's not true. It's not true. And, and this is the, the need that we have to walk by faith and not by sight. We all need it. Understanding God's will for our lives can be very helpful in this respect, dear church family. You know, the main way for us to understand God's will in our life is through the Word of God. Reading the Word of God. That's the main way in which we knew we, we are to know God's will in our lives. Through the heartfelt, sincere study of the Word of God. It's a light unto your path. It's a light that's going to guide you. It's a lamp to your path. The big full picture, as it were. It lights the path, as it were. But we've got to make it as a light first, in order for it to light our path, as it were. It's, it's, and so that's, that's helpful. Joseph, of course, he, uh, he, was, he was taught by his granddad, by his dad, and he believed, didn't he, the Word of God. The Word of God was deeper than his mind. He believed in the Saviour. It, it, it held him for all those years. And so it was true with Jacob. So there is the word of God. But then also, and that is revealed by, the will of God is revealed by the word of God. But then there's also, there's God's secret will. There's God's secret will, which of course we cannot know. We don't know God's secret will. Job didn't know God's secret will. Jacob didn't know God's secret will. <clears throat> But you know, if, if you are looking for God's revealed will, through his revealed word, you will be ready for his secret will. Because you'll know something of the character, the character of God and the attributes of God and God's love for you. You'll know, you'll be prepared for that. Joseph was prepared. Jacob was prepared. And so, beloved, I tell you, the most wonderful thing God can do in our lives at times is to bring a famine, a spiritual famine, a storm to, to, to reveal the error of our ways and for, the believer to, to, and for the believer to discover hidden sins, to open up those hidden sins, because we all have those, those besetting sins, even as believers. And sometimes God needs to bring us into a famine for, to dig those up, the ones that are hiding under the coat, the ones that, that we don't want other people to see. You see, God takes us through these things for us to examine the closer, to open up the wound the deeper, to, to get to the rot, as it were. He does that, friends. And this is a mercy. This is a mercy from God. This is God's love. Now, we see by the, by the time that Joseph's brothers entered Egypt, to buy corn, Joseph would have been in power at least eight years now 
eight years, seven years of plenty, and of course now at least a year of famine, eight years. That means he's been separated for 20 years. 20 years have lapsed since they cruelly sold Joseph. And surely as they entered into Egypt, into hostile territory, as it, as it were, they were reminded how heartlessly they had sold their brother. Especially as now their dad, Jacob, is holding on to Benjamin. That must have been a prick in the conscience. I'm not going to allow you now for mistress to before Benjamin. All these things you see, the pricking of the conscience, as it were. God is bringing to remembrance their guilt, their sin. And lo and behold, we see that in verse 6, we are told that Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. They reverenced him. As per those wonderful prophetic and highly symbolic dreams, they reverenced him. And what a moment. What a moment this must have been for Joseph, where he powerfully, the powerful realisation here that God is with him. That God has always been with him. That God's presence is upon him. That his dreams are being fulfilled. And of course they would not have recognised Joseph. Joseph recognised them. But they would not have recognised Joseph because he was shaved, clean shaven. Normally in Israel, they back then, they wouldn't have been like that. They were shepherds. Then his name was different. He was given an Egyptian name. He was broadened out. He's no longer a 17-year-old teenager. He's broadened out now. He had different dress on now. He made himself strange and he spoke roughly to them. So they didn't know who he was, but he knew them. Nothing, friends, can stop God's promises and will from being fulfilled. They were literally put into the hand of Joseph. And like Jacob's ten brothers, our culture, dear friends, is in the business of forgetting God and erasing God from their, their memory banks. That's what our culture is. And any accountability of sin, that's what our culture is about. And that's what, that, that's what Joseph's brethren wanted. I just wanted to erase that guilt, get rid of that guilt. Any accountability of our past crimes, as it were. But God, you see, friends, God has ways of bringing man into a spiritual famine, into spiritual need. And this, friends, this is a mercy. This is a mercy of God when he does this. Providential storms are a mercy. All ten brothers are being brought face to face, really, with their iniquity, with their sin. And God would have it so, even if they did not want it. And friends, it is interesting to note, isn't it, that it is only the ten guilty sons that were being brought into Egypt, just the ones that were living in sin and rebellion from God, as if to say by God's grace to them, will you continue to forget about me? The covenant-keeping God, the, the God that was with Abraham and with your granddad Isaac and with your dad Jacob, the covenant-keeping God, the living God, the God of truth, will you continue to cover up your sin and live away from me? You cannot stop God. You cannot contend against God. Of course, Benjamin, not being allowed to go further, would have convicted them of their father's mistrust and their guilt, that they are guilty 
And in verses 7 through 24, we see how God really does bring home a, a sense of guilt for Joseph's ten brothers. In verse 7 and 8, we're told that Joseph both sees, he sees, and he knows, he knows them. Assuredly, that this is his brethren. He sees the, the, the dress that they were in, he sees the dialect, he sees the faces that threw him into that pet that so mistreated him. He sees them. But they don't see him. God had put them into his hand to be humbled, to be brought low. And the narrative really, really gives us here a sense of occasion, doesn't it? What must have been going through Joseph's heart and his mind when he sees them and he knows them after all that time, after all that he's been through, he looks upon them. Surely he must have thought, are they still the same after 20 years? Are they still the same? Are they still disrespecting and dishonoring my father? Still rebelling from him, as it were? Are they still bringing God's name into disrepute in the covenant family? Still rebelling from God's promises? Are they still treating, how are they treating Benjamin? In my absence, are they treating him like they did me? Is he alive? Have they killed him also? Have they any guilt for what they've done to me? You can just imagine what, what Joseph is going through Joseph's heart and mind here. When he, see, he sees them and he, and he knows them, these are the people that has done this to me. What they meant for evil, God has meant for good. He sees them. And he knows them. Are they still worldly, violent, hardened men? Lustful, reckless men? He sees them. And Joseph then, like a master physician, like a master surgeon, as it were, he seeks to discover how deep the wound of sin in them is still. That's what he wants to do. He wants to get to the bottom of the rot of their sin. That's what he wants to do under the hand of God. He speaks roughly to him, to them. And that was completely against his constitution. He was a loving, tender man. He was so opposite of that, but he speaks roughly to them. And he just can just can imagine Joseph speaking. He would probably come over overly rough. He would probably come over like, oh dear, who's this guy? Because it was so opposite to his constitution that he had to really put on a performance, an act, as it were. And they were like, whoa, who is this guy? And so he speaks roughly to them, like a master surgeon, wanting to get to the, to the root of the cause of the problem, as it were. He cuts, and he tests, and he says in verse 9, you are spies, you are spies to seek the nakedness of the land. That's the, first, that's the first test, as it were. That puts them on the defensive. And of course, this was very plausible. Very plausible indeed, because Egypt was vulnerable at that time because of the famine. They could have, uh, surrounding uh, places, could have made allies, and they could have done a raid on the food. So this was very, very plausible. You are spies to see the nakedness of the land. Joseph is cutting 
and testing like a master surgeon, as it were, to see their spiritual character. He wants to get to the bottom of it, as it were. And what do they do? They start to panic, don't they? They say in verse 10, Nay, no, no, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants. Come. We're just, we're just coming here like everyone else. We're just coming to buy food. Honest, as it were. We're not spies. And they say, we are all one man's sons, verse 11. We are true men. We're telling the truth. We're being honest to you. Now, we are all one man's sons. Well, he's starting to get some information out of them, isn't he? Well, he is. They are speaking the, the truth. Joseph continues to cut, as it were, like a, a surgeon, saying in verse 12, Nay, no, 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 no. But to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. You see, he wants more truth out of them. He wants to know what's happened to his father and what's happened to Benjamin. He wants more truth. He wants to discover their wretchedness, whether they are still the same men. And again, they protest and they start to open up more. That's what Joseph is doing. He's trying to get them to open up. He's opening up the wound, as it were. He's seeing the state of the wound. And he gets them to open up. And they say in verse 13, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man, true, in the land of Canaan, true. And behold, thy youngest is this day with our father, Benjamin, with the father, and one is not. Ah, there we have it. Joseph, they thought, was dead. Benjamin is under the protection of his father, uh, Jacob. Joseph has discovered his father is alive. Jacob has discovered that his father is protecting Benjamin, as it were. He has got his brothers to open up, dear friends. He knows their character has not changed, or much, I should say. There has been some things that we see have seen in previous chapters which give us hope. But we see here, dear friends, that they are still these men in rebellion from the covenant-keeping God. And providentially, Joseph's ten brothers are reaping what they have sown. As previously, they accused Joseph of being a spy on their conduct, reporting their evil deeds to their father. And, and now he's, as it were, <laughs> flipping the table, as it were. Joseph, under the mighty hand of God, is driving his brothers to a sense of need and guilt. This is what this passage is about. They must be humbled. They must see that, that this is not acceptable in God's sight. They must see their need of Christ to trust in the Lord, to forsake and abandon sin. They must see it. And again, Joseph says, no, nay, you're spies. You're spies. Verse 14. And do you know what the penalty was for being a spy? It was death. Death. He's saying to him, you're spies. He kept on saying it. You're spies. You're spies. As it were. And they knew it. They knew what he was saying. You're going to... If you're proven to be guilty, you're going to die. As it were. And I'll make sure that you, that you die. The fear of God was coming upon them. Joseph is giving them a taste of their own cruel medicine here. 
In verse 17, 15 through 17, Joseph puts them in prison three days. He's proving their words. He wants them to think upon their wickedness, as it were. And we see that after Joseph has sufficiently humbled them, he releases the nine sons to go back home. Simeon remains in prison. And the terms are that Simeon is to be released when Benjamin is brought back. And we know the reason why Benjamin would not want to come back. So we know we know it was not impossible for them to do that. Is Joseph here seeking revenge, friends? Certainly not. Certainly not. Joseph is showing compassion upon his unworthy brethren by wisely awakening them to a sense of sin and guilt, as it were, for their crimes. His intentions are good and noble. He hopes that they will come to a godly sorrow and repentance. That's the design here. And Joseph's brethren unjustly treated. Joseph's brethren unjustly treated and spoke, spoken to roughly the very things that they did 20 years ago. They tried to erase Joseph from their memory banks and conscience. Yet God has a way of bringing it all back to remembrance. Joseph does not hearken to his brethren's protests of innocency. He says in verse 8, 18, This do and live, for I fear God. How those words to Joseph's brethren must have come like a sword to the conscience. Here's this Egyptian saying, This do and live, for I fear God. Not once. Have we heard Joseph's brethren talking about God? But here's this Egyptian speaking of God, witnessing of God. And what a what a what a, a, a shame it can be when we Christians, as as it were, when we can grow cold in the faith, and someone comes along, perhaps someone that's even a worldling, and starts to speak about the Lord, in some sense, brings us to shame, doesn't it? And this is what's happening. This is an Egyptian, a pagan, speaking about God. And no doubt they know that the work of God is happening now. He says, bring your youngest brother to me and live. This do and live, for I fear God. Surely they must have been convicted here by now that this indeed was God's doing. This was God's work. They almost would say, What? An Egyptian saying he fears God? What? Nowhere, nowhere we hear them speaking of God, yet here they're reminded. And what a rebuke it is to them. What a reminder it is to them. There's no more running away from God. There's no more running from their past sins anymore. They are being brought face to face with their sins and rebellion and guilt. They know, they, they, they know and begin to realize that God is at work here. And they've been contending with God. And friends, what a mercy this is. This is a God's mercy. And what a mercy this was to Jacob. What a blessing this was to Jacob. He's at home thinking, all these things are against me. <laughs> all these things are against me. And rather... All these things are going for him. All these things. They're his, all of his brethren 
being brought low, as it were, the sense of guilt. And beloved, when the storms come upon our families and our friends and upon our fellowship even, let us never ever forget that all, of, all these things are not against us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Storms have a great way, dear friends, of loosening. Loosening and loosening up and scattering precious gospel seed far and wide. Storms of this life. Ever watch one of those wildlife documentaries where they show a storm smashing into an island, as it were, and there's this violence and there's this seemingly chaos. And then you see all this life appearing, all these seeds growing, and all this blessedness and the light raising them up, and the stillness and the beauty and the fruit that comes from it. Well, all those things are sovereign, all those seeds that are spread. Not one of them falls, as it were, to a bit of ground without the Lord knowing about it. We must believe in these things, friends. We must believe that God is, God is sovereign by faith. What must Joseph have been thinking when he began to hear this confession, this corporate confession of guilt amongst his brethren? Verses 21 through 23. Before they spoke of Joseph in a cruel way, they, they said, this, this dream, here comes this dreamer. As it were, they treated him cruelly. They, they ignored him, they wanted him out, out of the way, but now they, they're speaking him in, in a regretful way. They're speaking of him endearingly now. They, they said, we shed our brother's blood. We shed his blood. We saw the anguish on his soul and we would not hear him. They're speaking to him as if they wanted him back now. We shed his blood, our brother's blood. They're calling, him, they're calling Joseph their brother. Not this dreamer, not calling bad names. This is our brother. Look what we did to our brother, our flesh and blood. We saw what, what anguish we put upon his soul. He cried to us. He was compelling to us. He cried to us from the pits. He made arguments to us from the word of God. And we did not listen to him. And that's what sinners are like. In their sin, as it were. God can so call us, even in our wretchedness, and we can be so blind. Joseph was compelling them. We saw the anguish on his soul and we would not hear him. And that's what people are like. That's what we were like before we were converted. God sends out his shepherds, he sends out his people, and they compel us that we're so in love with our sin. We're blinded, aren't we? Did not hear him. Now, now you see they've been brought to a position where they actually long for Joseph. They're speaking of him in an endearing way. This child, they're speaking to him as a child now, as a brother now, not as a dreamer, not, not calling bad names. In other words, they're saying, well, we deserve to die. We deserve the death penalty. This child's blood is required on us now. Because of what we've done. And that is a position, friends, in terms of the process of salvation. This is often a position where it's a true means of salvation. When someone hears the gospel, or providentially someone's been brought low, when someone's close to the kingdom of heaven, often this is the case where they see their sin. They start to see their guilt and their wretchedness. They start to be 
God be merciful to me, the sinner. I'm the sinner. I'm the one that deserves to die. To die. Remember me when you enter into, into your kingdom, as, as it were. I don't deserve your salvation. I'm a how-deserving sinner. I, I just want you to remember me and have mercy upon me. This is kind of the position we see of them here. They know they deserve to die. They know that they're under God's wrath now. There's this convicting here. But for the first time, for the first time, Joseph begins to see the grace of God within them. Within them. He starts to see that, that true conviction of sin. He starts to see it. And this was too much for Joseph, wasn't it? It was, it was too much for him to bear. In verse 24, Joseph quickly turns himself away and he weeps. He, he no doubt must have found a, a place, a room or something, and, and he just pours his heart out to the Lord. He, he tears up, as it were, he's in tears, tears of joy, of relief. My brothers are repenting now. My brothers are deeply convicted of what they did to me. It was wicked. My brothers are believing in God's sovereignty that, that God is the first cause now. The primary cause, the grace of God is working in their hearts. There's a change of heart going on here. And of course, Joseph's brethren were completely oblivious that Joseph understood these things. Their dialect. Joseph, friends, has great pity in his heart towards his brethren. But also he realizes that, that repentance, and this is important, that repentance can be fleeting and not of a godly sort, not lasting. That's very important. So what does he do? He desires to cut deeper, like a master surgeon, like a master physician, as it were. He wants to get to the, open up the wound further. He wants to get to the cause of the root of the, the wound, the, the, the rot as it were. So he opens up the wound deeper. Where the sinners, where the rotters, the wretchednesses, he wants to discover whether they, whether they at last will truly turn to the Lord in whom they've been rebelling against all these years. And friends, surely this is what we desire amongst us. Surely this is what we desire amongst us. True conviction of sin. Raw by the Holy Spirit of God. Not a phoniness. God must become real in our lives. Truly this is what we want amongst us. Truly this is what we're praying for. The Word of God, friends, is the only way of getting out that which has long affected the soul. It is quick and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword. Cutting asunder, as it were, gets straight through the flesh, straight through all the nonsense, right through to the soul, as it were. The Word of God. Christ's preachers must, gospel preachers must be not afraid to cut, to discover, to search for sin, as it were, to cut deep, to open up the wound, as it were, despite what they're going to be labelled, despite what, what, what they're going to be called. They must be willing to cut. The nine brothers were sent home with food to the full, weren't they? Verse 25 through 28. They laid on their donkeys, they began their journey back home to Canaan. And all was going well, wasn't it? On this trip back. Perhaps all that earlier confession that they made, perhaps 
on their way home with all that food, sense of relief, perhaps a sense of complacency started to creep in. And they stopped, didn't they, at that inn on their way home. And one of them noticed that their money was had been restored. Their money had been restored. The money which was supposed to be paid for the food for remember for them and their families. All all this money. In other words, they've been stitched up, haven't they? That's what they thought. What's happened? My money. They're going to think I'm a thief, as it were. They're going to think I'm a spy. They're going to come after us, as it were. I'm being stitched up. In verse 28, we're told that their heart failed them. They were afraid. They said to one another, again, they said to one another, what is this that God had done unto us? You see? Again, see how God works, bringing them lower. They they, they didn't have a word to say about God a day ago. Now everything is about God. Now now everything that's happening in their lives is about God. Oh, God is bringing me into the situation. God is the first cause. God is the primary cause now. Before, when things went wrong, oh no, no, I just hit the bottle or just tried to blow it away with some pleasure in my life. Oh no. But now, God is the primary cause. God is the first cause here. What is this that God has done unto us? God is bringing us low now. You see the guilt, the sense of guilt, the true conviction of sin here. That's what's happening to them. God will not allow those first fruits of repentance to fade away. They must be brought lower. It must be cut in deeper. An awful realization of who God is, that God is holy, that God is just. It must be brought to them. The fear of God must come upon them. In verse 29 through 34, they come back and they pour out their hearts to their father Jacob. They tell him all that befell them. They recount the story as of what what happened to them in Egypt. And in verses 35, we're told that when they all emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. Now they were truly terrified, weren't they? They were truly terrified. They all opened up their sacks and there's all of their money. They've all been stitched up, as it were. In other words, they're all guilty. That money, they were supposed to be for all the food which they laid on all the donkeys with to feed their families and their families and so on. It would have been a lot of food, a lot of provision. And they immediately would have thought we're dead. They're going to come after us. We're thieves, we're spies. They're going to to send people after us. We've been stitched up. In other words, what we did to Joseph, we stitched Joseph up. We treated Joseph like this. God is requiring this at our hands. God's judgment is upon us. We're reaping what we've sown, you see. The reality of God's judgment was upon us. Why is this happening? Why has God allowed this to happen now? They're thinking... And friends, it was to bring about true godly fear and lasting repentance. God is holy. God is a God of justice. We must truly turn. There must have been thought we must truly turn now. There must be a true turning now. There must have thought at last. No more running from God. No more contending with God. 
We must turn. There must be a turn. At this point, the terrors of God's judgment are upon them. Remember, they've got families. They're putting their recklessness has put many people at risk here. There is a servile fear which will which they're under now. A servile fear, which is not a right type of fear. But that servile fear will come to turn into a filia fear, a tender, father, loving-like fear, when they realize that all these things God has done for good, out of love and mercy to them. It will bring them to this, you mean God has done this because he has loved me? He's brought me into this situation because he loves me? Yes, God loved those those murderers, those wretched people. God loved them. God loves them. They just could not see that yet. It wasn't just clear to them yet, but they were under the servile at the moment. Isaiah 66, 2 says, But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. And trembleth at my word. Well, that's what these men began to do. Began to tremble. They remembered the, the, the appeals of Joseph. They remembered the appeals of Jacob. They remembered the appeals of their granddad Isaac. They remember what they had taught. Bring up a child in the way he should go. They shall not depart from when they're old. They remembered those things. They remembered they were in rebellion against the covenant-keeping God. And you may be in a covenant family. In a family that believes in the true one God, part of a sound Bible-believing church, but yet you can still be in rebellion. It's true. It's very true. Putting on an act, covering up your sins for many years. No more doubting God. No more abusing God's goodness. No more making light of their sin. No more ignoring God's calls anymore. This is what was going on. No more ignoring God's calls. This is serious. They must turn or die. That's what they're facing, and their families. They must love God for who He is. They must do so with all the heart, and all the soul, and all the mind, and all the strength, everything. Friends, God's working on Joseph's brethren's hearts. These are changed men. They're changed. They are now thinking upon the primary cause. It's all about what God is doing now. It's all about God. It's all about God. These hardened men are starting to soften now. Their hearts are at length starting to soften. What an encouragement, isn't it? In, in the plowing which we are to do in the surrounding areas. What God can do. Don't give up. Don't give up on people. Don't give up on loved ones and friends. Don't give up. Jacob cries, doesn't he, in verse 36. Me have you bereaved of my children. Joseph is not and Simeon is not. And ye will take Benjamin away? All these things are against me. Basically saying, Reuben makes the case, I'll go. And and we can see the change in Reuben's heart here. Although it's a very foolish vow that he made in sacrificing his two sons. But he's thinking of God's justice, isn't he now, at last? 
He's, he's thinking, well, I've taken another man's life. I've left Simeon in a prison. I'm guilty of these two men, so I'm going to give my two sons. He's thinking of God's justice now. So he's thinking as a foolish vow, but it, it still comes from a heart where it's a changed heart. It's a heart of love. I'm willing to give it all up now. To do that which is right now, Father. But look at his father, look at Jacob's reaction in verse 36. Me have you bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and he shall take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. You see, Joseph is saying, saying, in effect, you killed Joseph. You killed him. Me have you bereaved of my children. Joseph is not. You, you know, he, he knew deep down that they killed Joseph. Well, what a thing to live with. People to live with. He knew that. And Simeon is not, and he will take, you, you're, you're going to take, take Benjamin away from me now? What a, what a powerful guilt trip. And I'm saying, in a, in a, in making people guilty, but what a powerful conviction of sin must have fell upon them all. They were there, but finally at length they, they realize how terrible their sin is. They, they realize that they see their father weeping, as it were. They see the grief of their father, the pain they've caused, the destruction, the destruction, ruinous nature of their sin. They see it in full force in the power of Jacob now, weeping, broken, as it were, the grief that, he's, that, that they have caused in his life, in Joseph's life, in their family's lives. They see it. It's upon their consciences. It weighs heavy. And Reuben, friends, full of guilt, like I said, he, he also now, with godly resolve, says, slay not might slay my two sons if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, verse 37, and I will bring him to thee again. Again. He does this out of love. Foolish vow, but out of love. Joseph says in verse 38, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which he go, then shall he bring down my grey hairs with sorrow. To the grave. In other words, I don't trust you. I don't trust you, Jacob says. He suspected that they were guilty of their brother's death. The heartache, the sorrow, the pain Jacob had to endure for 20 years now is, is indelibly upon the, 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 the brethren's heart, the, the ten sons. They see it. They realize that the grief Jacob is, is bearing is so great. And this, this, this strange, this chapter kind of abruptly ends with this indelible impression of sin, of how wretchedness sin is in our lives. It just abruptly finishes like that. And I believe it does so to give us a sense of how ruinous sin is in our lives. That it took God himself to come into this world and to deal with it. We must never, ever think light of sin for one minute. There, there, there are ten sons here standing literally in silence, it would seem. Twenty years of covering up sin is destroying their lives. 
and none of others. And you see, friends, and young people in particular, if you, if you allow sin to get, 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 let loose in your life, I'm telling you now, it's going to have this effect. Not to this perhaps degree, but it's going to break down everything in your life. It's going to take you very far away from, from God. When sin conceives, it brings forth death. The wages of sin are death. We must treat sin for what it is in our lives. The guilt, the pain, the sorrow, it just ends abruptly, doesn't it, in today's study. But friends, it also ends with the knowledge that all is not against Jacob. For the believer, all is not against you, dear, dear believer. It's not against you. All is well with Jacob. God's secret providence is at work here. God's love and mercy to sinners is at work still. And you see, friends, if you're still covering up sin, all things are against you. That's the reality of it. If you're still covering up sin, if you're still rebelling from God, all things are against you. But for, for the believer, friends, all things are, are for you. But if you're rebelling from God, all things are against you. Promotions are against you. Money is against you. Pleasures are against you. Earthly securities are against you. If you're rebelling from God, all those things are against you. You see? All the, 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 the lights on this world are against you. But if you're in Christ, friends, well, all the, all the, the, the valleys of shadow of death are there for you. They're for you, friends. They will bring godly fruits. They will bring much fruits. The cutting will bear forth much. But if you, if you came, but if you come to the Saviour, all things, dear friends, will be for you. Don't carry that load of sin. Don't carry that load of sin and guilt when there's such a Saviour to be had. Don't do it. I did it for years. I did it up in, until my 20s. For years I was carrying that guilt of my sin and my wretchedness. My, my sin belonged to me. How I was treating God. How I was to God. How I was to others. Don't carry it, friends, when there's such a saviour. God's love was shown to these violent, lustful, hardened men. And so it's true with us as well, isn't it? Every one of us. God must bring us down, friends, before we can bring more up. Again. Amen. Amen. Amen.